Hello and welcome to The Amateur Austenite. My name is Frances Duncan. I am an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. My co-host is my friend Sean. Hello. And today we are discussing chapter 16 of Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. Not all actually happens in this chapter. Fanny's stressing out. She goes to the East Room. Edmund turns up, decides that he's going to be part of the play. Fanny doesn't think it's a great idea, does not express her opinion. He leaves. Fanny feels terrible. Yes, I think that sums it up. A very introspective chapter, but it also is very revealing about her status in the house again. The way that she is given the East Room is very interesting. It's now considered Fanny's almost decidedly as the white attic. The Miss Bertrams, with every superiority in their own apartments, were entirely approving of it, and Mrs Norris, having stipulated for there never being a fire in there, was tolerably resigned to her having the use of what nobody else wanted. It goes on to say that the way she speaks about it implies like it's the best room in the house. And even the way that it's furnished. All the leftover bits and bobs. A faded footstool of Julia's, two ill done for the drawing room, three transparencies made in a rage for transparencies, Mm. so therefore obviously no longer popular, so nobody wants it. A collection of family profiles thought unworthy of being anywhere else. Fanny's got the casts off. Fanny is a cast off. Yes. And right at the beginning, when it's actually talking about her having the white attic, which isn't big enough for her to basically pace in, so she has to go down. They've never moved her to another chamber. And one wonders who actually realises she lives in the attic. They've never thought about what she needs. No. As a young woman, she doesn't have an apartment or anything. It's just the attic, so you realise her place. And then you go on when she's doing her listening as she's rambling, meandering around the room. And again, it's recognising that it really pushes forward her status. So with that comes that whole lack of confidence and lack of self-belief, which means even though she believes she's right, she's guiltily thinking that just because she doesn't think it's right, she shouldn't hold on to those principles because everyone else thinks she's being selfish. Would Edmund's judgment, would his persuasion of Sir Thomas's disapprobation of the whole be enough to justify her in a determined denial in spite of all the rest? It's just because she doesn't like it. Does it give her the right to deprive everybody else of their enjoyment? Of course, that's right at the beginning until Edmund comes in and says, well, actually, no, I'm going to be Anhalt. Completely changes what she's thinking about. But hearing her basically freaking out about this, she's traumatised. To be called into notice and then to be infinitely worse, to be told that she must do what was so impossible, to have the charge of obstinacy and ingratitude enforced with such a hint at the dependence of her situation. This thing is spiralling round and round her head. Yes. And apart from anything else... Many, many people have that fear of public speaking and for her acting is is that it's morally reprehensible and that whole being brought into the attention. She's always sits in the background. She is never one who puts herself forward and then all of a sudden there she was put in front of everybody and criticised. She's concerned that she doesn't want to do it because she doesn't want to be the centre of attention rather than for better motives. She thinks that she's being selfish. She doesn't want to do it for herself when she could make her cousins happy. She thinks she might be using her uncle's disapprobation as an excuse so she doesn't have to do it. Yes, I think that's exactly right. She's even doubting her own good judgment. 
and feeling that it's really she's using it as an excuse not to keep her cousins happy. Edmund, it's really interesting. Like, you can't <laughs> tell if he's using Fanny as a confessional or confidant or a sounding board. He says, I see your judgment is not with me. It still has not your approbation. If you are against me, I ought to distrust myself. Give me your approbation, Fanny. I am not comfortable without it. I could not be easy till I had spoken to you. Please tell me I'm doing Please the right thing. Old, yes. Oh, how many times like have we done this? Confessing to her. Yes, yes. Which just pulls the rug out from her completely. Yes. Edmund, so inconsistent. It was all Miss Crawford's doing. She is concerned for Miss Crawford, though. She says, mm-hmm. I'm sorry for Miss Crawford, but... I am more sorry to see you drawn in to do what you had resolved against and what you are known to think will be disagreeable to my uncle. Edmund is saying that he will take the role of Anne Holt, so they do not have to ask Charles Maddox. Oh, that's right. So he cannot get the excessive intimacy with the family. Well, he's basically a stranger. And to come in to do a role like Anne Holt with the young woman of the family that he doesn't know, he's not been properly introduced to them, is a stranger, is certainly from Edwin's perspective worse than him doing it himself because he knows Tom's going to do this play compel a high water. I don't know if Edmund is kidding himself. I think he's also using it as just, he wants to do it with Mary, he wants to do the part opposite Mary. He's, he's intrigued by it. He's intrigued by her. Yes. But yeah, he's saying... I'm doing this for the good of the family so that we're not <laughs> expanding it so Charles Maddox won't come. So, so he's I found can... a good excuse. So they won't show the whole neighbourhood. I want it to be just the family. But, yeah, he's arguing really strongly, which makes it seem like he has other reasons. Because he does bring up Miss Crawford a lot and say, don't you think, Fanny, I should do it for her? How hard it would be for her to act against someone she doesn't know in such an intimate part. Fanny is the last person she wants is Edmund doing an intimate part with Mary. <laughs> Poor lass. Edmund is really stupid. He's besotted. <sighs> He's been completely glamorised by this very attractive and intelligent woman who's obviously interested in him, not to the head of the house. Which is surprising. surprising and is very, you know, very attractive quality. I feel for Fanny. This is her sanctuary. It says she could go there after anything unpleasant below and find immediate consolation in some pursuit. He's ruined it. That's not the only time it happens in this book. No. She goes to her room for privacy, for comfort, and it's ruined. I mean, she's no longer being concerned about being asked to act anymore, at least. Yes. Now she does not care. So if they ask me to act, it doesn't matter. Edmund is lost. Who cares? All is lost. It's a little bit melodramatic. Yes. We have to remember she's still only 18 and a young 18 at that. We very rarely get scenes just between Edmund and Fanny. This entire chapter, we only have the two of them together. Often when we see them talking, they're in a room full of people. Yes, that's right. It's not often we get a real yet another scene set or context set which this really does reset the context of Fanny in the house and I think that's quite important there's a very long introduction to her going into that room more than a page explaining 
her position in the family, the position of the room and her possession of it. Which I think is quite important because it basically just re-emphasises that she has no power. When we were reading it as a group, I can't remember who it was, someone kept pointing out that they wanted Fanny to turn around and snap back at Mrs Norris. She is not in a position where it is possible for her to do that. Again, that's one of the challenges when you're a modern woman reading a book like this. You try to put yourself in her shoes, but you're putting yourself as a 20th century woman where you wouldn't tolerate that type of behaviour. You know, people speak to their own parents and grandparents in ways that were not acceptable even 20 years ago when I was a child. You know. uh, now it's all about you have a right to express your opinion even as a child. But this was 200 years ago. And she has the conditioning. Mrs Norris has conditioned her for a good 10 years. So she's not just going to suddenly change. She's never going to be. And even now, you've still got people who say, why didn't you say so-and-so? Because that's not how people or everybody is. Not everybody will go and say these things. People pleasers, for example. Yes. Um, and I think it's quite clear the relationship between Mrs Norris and Fanny is abusive. Yes. And... There is always the question, why do people stay in abusive relationships? Because you've been conditioned to it. And she has nowhere else to go. That too. That's a bit of a sad note to end on. Poor Fanny. It gets better. It does eventually get better, but it also gets worse. Mm. And that is our summary of Chapter 16 of Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. My name is Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan. Thank you for listening and we wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch and some Pride and Prejudice heavily Pride focused merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!